Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Team, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you here. Honor and a privilege. We are going to be touching on a lot of different topics today. Going to be hitting all kinds of subjects. So it's one of these days when... Uh, I'm looking at what is considered the news cycle, and I I can tell that even some of the anchors who are on TV and some of the various newsrooms that are out there, they're they're, they're running on empty today. They they just don't have a lot. You know, there's no real Russia collusion. Yeah, no real Russia collusion to speak of. You know, they don't have that. There's, uh, uh, you know, they're now running news stories about how what is it? Mueller is is like subpoenaing things. I mean, what's next? Like Mueller orders cup of coffee, continues investigation. I mean, this is what we're this is what we're being subjected to at this point. Uh, special special counsel is talking to more witnesses. Yeah, that's what he does. He probably also puts on a tie in the morning and you know says goodbye to his wife. It's it's really not news per se. It's not all that interesting. Uh, a, lot, a lot of t- we'll get into the Al Franken stuff in a, in a moment, just because. That seems to be what everyone's particularly focused on. Nothing really new in the in the uh, Roy Moore case as of today. Although we, uh, Kaya Moore uh, did come out and and speak, or is it Kaya? Uh, Kaya Kaya um, did come out and speak in his defense to uh, Kayla Moore. Pardon me, that's why I was I mis, it was misspelled here in front of me. Uh, my bad. So we'll also talk about the coup in Zimbabwe, just because I think Mugabe is a fascinating character. I, it does look. It's not one of these. Usually, when I talk to you about national security, it's because it affects us in some way. Mugabe, Zimbabwe doesn't. None of that affects us really. But it's just an interesting story, and I want to tell you some of the the background of it. And and uh, it also the, the whole story reminds me of one of my favorite uh, movies. I mean, maybe it's. I'm not sure it's top ten. It might be top twenty for me though, which is Last King of Scotland, which is about Idi Amin. And I I went to school. I went to college with a uh, a he's actually a, a good friend of mine, and his father was a partner in a law firm. And Idi Amin was in Uganda. We'll be talking about Mugabe in Zimbabwe, but Idi Amin was a uh, a an autocrat, a dictator, vicious opposition, disappearing, torturing, murdering, all that stuff. And my good friend who was Ugandan and then well, American, born in Uganda, and then b- via Australia to America. So he was an American with an Australian accent of Ugandan extraction. A very, very good friend of mine in college. And his father came home. I, and I forget why he wasn't at the office, but he came home and said, all the law partners, all the law partners have disappeared. Their wives don't know where they are. Pack one bag. We're go- We're leaving. Like we're leaving tonight. We're out. And my friend and his little brother and his mom still. He says he remembers that night. He was very young, but he remembers it very clearly. 
uh, and they fled to, they made their way to Australia as um, refugees and then made it to the U.S. and then became permanent uh, residents here. Great guy, by the way. Uh, so that, you know, that, that situation of just the, the liquidation of the opposition, Idi Amin did that in Uganda. You still have that happening in Zimbabwe. And Last King of Scotland is about Idi Amin, but they could make a, they could make a great movie about Mugabe if they, I don't know if there is one, but I'll tell you about my, my favorite movie about Zimbabwe, which is actually a documentary, a pretty recent one. I'll tell you about that later on the show. So that's just an interesting story. You probably haven't heard it anywhere else this week. And I do think there are limits, right, on how much we all should sit around and, and, and get into all the minutia of, you know, where was Al Franken's hand in the photo, his left hand? Was it, was it actually touching? Was it hovering over? I mean, this is what everyone's spending all this time. And as I'm on air, by the way, they actually have up, uh, they have all these different people tied to Trump. Uh, and they're still talking about the Trump Tower meeting, you know, with, with Veselnitskaya or whatever, the uh, Russian lawyer. There's no, there's nothing new. I mean, it's just, this is what they're, this is what they're uh, left with today. Just, hey, Russia, let's talk about it. So there's nothing really new for them to do there. Um, we'll talk to uh, Tyrone a little bit about the NFL. Uh, there's some interesting fighting brewing, well, ongoing, not just brewing over there. Uh, I'll have a guy join to talk about the possibility of actual time travel. That'll be kind of fun. And there's some diversity. Uh, there's a diversity problem at Apple, the company that provides me with basically all of my electronics. Pricey, but good electronics. Uh, we'll get into the diversity problem there. And uh, it's not it's not what you think. Well, it's not what you usually think of with a diversity problem. And that's that's kind of a sense of where we're going to go. Because, look, I know it's Friday, and it's just been an exhaust. It's been a week of unrelenting partisan warfare, really. All the sexual harassment stuff, whether we're talking about Roy Moore or I shouldn't say all of it, but a lot of it, whether it's Roy Moore or Al Franken or any of these different big politically involved sexual harassment stories, it's just everyone fighting against the other side, doing whatever they can. Um, and it's nice to take a little bit of a break from it. I'm amazed that there are, there are some radio hosts who I will, I will come across uh, from time to time. And even on a Friday, it's just, you know, McConnell's a traitor. Paul Ryan's the worst. The Democrats are evil. They're destroying America. I mean, that all. Sure. You know, I'm on board for a lot of that. Right? But but uh, I I feel like at some point during the week, right, can, we, we can relax a little bit and learn some stuff and talk about some things and not just not just have it be a, a, a food fight with the other side constantly, because that's what I see. Uh, that's what I see going on. I mean, what, just as as an aside, when the succession story of the Saudi monarchy is getting attention from major news networks, you know it's a Friday and they don't have much on the shelf. Like you know, it's a little. Everyone's like, "What?" So it's gonna it's gonna go to Crown Crown Prince Abdullah is gonna be the real king. How does this affect me? Anyway, all right. So more on out. So oh, and I should know it's it's action movie quote Friday. So that's very exciting. Action. The Marine Corps is like a day on the farm. Every meal is a banquet. Formation of parade. I love the call. Movie. What's the matter? The CIA got you pushing too many pencils. Quote. Uh, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Jack Burton. Me. Fridays. Thanks for the advice. Action. Movie. Quote. Fridays. 
Do you think you can bring it to the action movie quote master? You, you think you've got what it takes? I'm a ninth degree action movie black belt. Let's see if you can bring it. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Don't call in with some quote from Made in Manhattan and say, no, there's some very action-packed scenes, you know? It's got to be an action movie. I've actually never seen Made in Manhattan. Uh, but nonetheless, if Miss Molly told me to, I would watch it. So I'm not going to lie. I, I, end up watching a fair amount, I end up watching a fair amount of Bravo during the week because it's Molly's favorite channel. So we watch a little Bravo. And I would rather watch Bravo. Yeah, I know. This is the stuff. It's a Friday, so I'm admitting stuff. Uh, and not only that, but the truth is, I'd rather watch that than she likes the uh, SV, SVU, the Law and Order SVU show, which is just too depressing. You know, it's always like find some body decomposing somewhere. They bust out all the all the you know the black lights and stuff, and I'm like, oh, this is this is what I want to watch when I come home. But I know that Law and Order is kind of addictive. I went through a, a phase in college where once in a while allegedly may have been a little hungover on a Saturday or a Sunday and I'd watch like eight hours of law and order in a row and realize that I hadn't left my living room. Um, that can happen to you. It, it can happen. That gets dun dun, you know, it gets that noise going and you're just like, you're just locked in. Uh, but we've got some more stuff on. Oh yeah. If you want to call in and see, see what you got on the action movie quotes, eight, four, four, 900 buck. Yeah. How Frank think it's, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of the same getting recycled right now about this. And, Here's the only important takeaway that I have for you from because there's been the Al Franken, uh, not allegations. He's admitted it. Right. So Al Franken revelation of, of sexual assault and sexual misconduct. And then you have these editorials that have been popping up by Democrats, including Democrats who who openly went to the mat to defend Bill Clinton back in the day. And now all of a sudden. They're like, well, you know, it's uh, uh, it's it's time for us to come clean. It's like, oh, okay, so now that Bill Clinton isn't going to be raising money for anybody, uh, no one cares what he has to say. Uh, he, his wife's not going to be president. His no one cares what his wife really has to say anymore. What do you mean? No, we don't care. Uh, with all that happening, now they want to tell us that they'll take the sexual remember sexual assault rape allegations rape allegations against bill clinton seriously i'm just like it's too late but then it's worth thinking why now what is what is pushing this change in the narrative uh, yeah okay it's the the clintons are now expendable in a way they weren't before um the clintons are ex- i actually learned that word speaking of action movie quotes i learned the word expendable from rambo first blood part two that's remember he's on the he's on the boat going into the the camp and she asks him what expendable means and he actually gives a really bad definition you know we should probably we, but Ty do me a favor pull that audio for later so we can learn how what, what Rambo thinks expendable actually is um anyway but that was how I learned it and I would just say that uh, what you're seeing now is that the left needs to have a mobilizing narrative that's also a weaponizing narrative or that they can weaponize and using this whole sec- by by pushing very hard on this sexual um, harassment avalanche, which is what it really is. Right. I mean, it's just a, a, a cascading effect now of all these. I mean, they're pushing it out there and they're they are feeding 
Democrats to the Lions, so to speak. I mean, there are Dem- now some of them. I mean, who's really going to stand up for Weinstein? I mean, not not, not even attacking the NRA is going to bail you out, Weinstein. I think he's probably going to get arrested any day now. But they they are doing this. And you have to think that Democrats never it's, it's not like they've all of a sudden gotten morality. Right. It's not like they've woken up. And the New York Times editorial board and all these radical feminists who were writing stuff in defense of Clinton back in the day. It's not like they've they've become different people. Right? They're not. Changing the way that they view the world. So why are they now willing to be honest about the failures of Democrats to act like civilized, respectful and, and in some cases law abiding? human beings and it's because this is a very this is a very powerful uh, a very powerful tool that they are building the ability to with accusations and i know many are saying yeah buck roy i know a lot of you believe this that it's roy moore is the first i've haven't i been warning you for weeks now that they would come after somebody and destroy him based on it's going to be a him right we all understand that so i don't say him or her it's going to be a him they would come after someone to destroy him based on allegations alone now, I know some of you also think that Roy Moore was was doing shady stuff and you're, you're not, you know, that's the point I'm making, though, is that you can see how potent simple accusations are. You can see right now that the Democrats still have very loud megaphones with the media, are still willing to be incredibly uh, hip- hypocritical uh, and are willing to get all outraged if it means that they can take somebody down, right? They're very good at that. So right now, that that means that they've got to like dial down the hypocrisy a little bit and actually hold people to account, including some Democrats. But it's not going to go away. This current cycle of accusations and the elimination of people from professional life, in some cases, the their their freedom may be at stake as well as their reputations, but that's not gonna that's not gonna stop. And I think that they have recognized. I think that the the left in this country realizes that they have a very potent weapon that they are building to use against their enemies going forward. Yeah, I think that they are cynical about this. I think they are exploitative, and so in the short term, it means that they're willing to go forward and. Anybody who gets caught up in this is kind of any Democrat who gets caught up in this, who, you know, is collateral damage to their side or is completely deserving of the damage. But give it some time. Give it some time. Remember what they did to Mitt Romney, the war on women with Mitt Romney? Mitt Romney was like the most respectful, responsible, I mean, cleanest background a guy could possibly have. And they made him a war against women. Now, with all this stuff going on, just imagine what they'll be able to do to any number of people out there. All right. Um, I've got lots of lines lit. Everybody wants to get on the action movie quote game. We'll do some of that. And like I said, uh, a varied show. We're not just going to sit here and I'm amazed at the stories that are getting airtime tonight from other people. I'm like, that's no one even cares. But it's it's a rough day in the news cycle, which is great for us because we get to hang out. So I'll be right back.
Ross. Come on, Tyrone. I mean, this is like Tyrone. You gotta have to step. You have to step up your game, dude. Uh, that's that's like the that's like the fake Jeopardy they run on the back of taxis in New York, where they're like, "This is a state that begins with a K and ends with a you know S." You're like, "Hmm, I'll figure it out." Um, anyway, it's all right, Ty. Sorry, right. you know he's it's, he doesn't want to he doesn't want to upset me. I understand, you know, I get it, but it's all right. You you can you can throw some real stuff my way. You know, I have to do the, the the slow pitch down the middle. All right, let's see what Jerry's got. Jerry in Virginia on WKCY. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Buck Shields High, brother. Shields High. Hey, keep the powder dry and the heads on a swivel here in Virginia. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway. Hey, I've got a movie quote for you. Before I throw that at you, I was about to say real quick, man. Uh, the host of America Now, prior to you, in my view, just left much to be desired. And I listened to you for years on Beck and other stuff. And I'm glad you got your own show. Loving it, dude. Thank you for your support. I appreciate that. Hey, uh, here's one for you. I don't know if I can do it in the right voice or not, but uh, get off my plane. I don't know if you've heard that one yet. Um, Passenger 57? No. No. Harrison Ford. Ah, Air Force One. All right, hit the buzz right now. I feel like he might. I feel like Wesley Snipes maybe said that in Passenger Fifty Seven too. He might have. He may have. I haven't <laughs> seen Passenger Fifty Seven, so he may have. But uh, it is I not. I mean, Wesley one. Snipes' finest, in my opinion. Well, his best movie is probably White Men. Actually, it might be. I was going to say White Men Can't Jump, or it could be Major League. Major League is uh, a great movie for what yeah. it is. Um, and then on the action <laughs> genre, I think Blade. I think Blade is actually his best action movie. Blade one, not one the other ones. The Indians were so terrible. He was good in that too. Which one? Wesley Snipes. Might not have been Wesley Snipes. The, the baseball movie. Yeah, Major League. That was what I said. Yeah, he's great in that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was like pre Wesley Snipes. Sheen. You know, lifting a lot of heavy weights. I think though, he was he was a very different looking in uh, in Blade. But anyway, hey Jerry, man, <laughs> thank you, thank you for your support and Shields High, and have a great weekend, buddy. Appreciate it. Uh, Nate in Connecticut, iHeart app. What's going on, Nate? Hey, what's going on, Buck? Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you, sir. Um, I got one for you. Let me try and get into character. Hold on. <clears throat> it's a hell of a thing, killing a man. You take away everything he's got and all he's ever going to have. Tombstone? No, Clint Eastwood. Is Unforgiven? Unforgiven? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I was close. It was. I know, it, like Jeopardy rules, if you can't throw in the... Okay, I was close, though. I was close. Fair enough. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm getting roughed up here. Hey, Nate, uh, do me a favor. Have a fantastic weekend and enjoy yourself, all right? It's your homework. Shield tie, sir. Shield tie, brother. Uh, all right, so uh, we, look, we got some spots open if you would like to. Uh, and we can also talk about some serious stuff if you want or action movie quotes. Whatever. Guys, you're, you're driving the ship today. I'm just riding. I'm just, I've got a little fold out chair on the back, I've got some uh, Añejo tequila. I'm, I'm good to go. So you got to just let me know what you want to do here on the show, because I'm telling you right now, the news cycle, I've got some stuff planned for later. Like I said, deep dive on Zimbabwe. You'll want to hear that. But we're just kind of rolling with it on this Friday because we're not going to just talk about the same stuff everybody else is. We'll be back. Something connected. The villagers rock and the old legend of the Shankara stone. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Boom. That's right. That's right. 
Tyrone, do you really doubt the skills? We're really, I mean, come on now. Amy knows. She's been around a long time. She knows. Tyrone is just now realizing. He's like, this guy is some kind of, he's like the, he's like this, you know, the, the Einstein, the, the Stephen Hawking of movie quotes. Yeah. I know. I know. Now that I, by the way, now that I've said that, hubris, hubris comes before the fall. Now I'm going to get, I'm going to get annihilated. Um, all right. Let's say, because we had every line lit and people, it's so funny. Because, I mean, how many times are you really going to sit here talking, all right, oh, let's, let's get into late. Let's talk about taxes, everybody. Let's do a three-hour show on taxes. Here's a guess. I didn't listen to any other radio today. Here's a guess at what, uh, you know, some of the uh, some of the, the standard local hosts across the country were doing. I'm guessing a lot on, you know, taxes, 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 and also how much the Republican Party is terrible. I mean, sure, yeah. A lot of Republicans are bad, but it's just not that interesting to talk about that many times in a row. You know, you know it's just it's easy, isn't it? After all, it becomes almost uh, almost reactionary, almost habitual to just you know go to the well of you know well the Democrats are destroying the country and and McConnell is a is a traitor and is the worst. Okay, sure, but there's other stuff going on too, right? There's other things. At least on a Friday. At least on a Friday. And on Friday when it's one of the slowest news cycles I've seen since I've been doing this this radio show. Uh, all right, Ralph in Virginia. What's going on, Ralph? Shields high, Buck. How are you, brother? Shields high, my friend. I'm good, thank you. Okay. Let's see if I can't get you. It's uh, okay, my friend. That's it? Okay, my it's friend? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, my friend, it's off to the next life for you, and I guarantee you, you won't be lonely. Uh, all right, wait, hold on a second. You gotta give me, give me like five seconds. Of, uh, um, uh, hit the buzzer. I don't have. What is it? All right, well, you got me, Ralph. What is it? A man on fire. Ah, legit. That's fair. That's a, I've seen that. I I probably could have gotten that. I actually thought that was a pretty good movie. I like this whole thing about only two types of people: trained and untrained. I've I've thought about That's that. Right. It's a good good flick. I figured I figured you'd be in the CIA, man. You know you're trained, so. Yeah, I, I'm trained to you know write tightly worded memos and. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm trained, man. I'm trained. It's true. Uh, Ralph Shields, hi. Have a great weekend, and and you got me. You got me. Hey, you know nobody's nobody's perfect. I'm gonna I'm gonna take some hits here too. Um, we have Doctor. Oh, Doctor Rick wants to call in from Maryland. What's up, Doctor Rick? Hey, Buck, she'll tie. She'll tie, my friend. Hey, I wanted, well, I'm picking my daughter up from college at the airport Thanksgiving, so I'm in a good mood, and you kept me that way. You are always positive. You, you don't doom and gloom go into apocalyptic hysteria. You keep things balanced, so you're really good for mine and I think a lot of other people's mental health, so thank you. Okay, I'll take it. Thank you. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, right. We hit the button. I like it. <laughs> Thank you, man. Rick, Dr. Rick, have a great... And you said you're picking up uh, your son at the... Uh, where, where are you my picking him up? at the airport. I'm at BWI. She's coming back from college for a week, so I get to have her back for a whole week, so this is awesome. All right. Well, have a great time with your daughter home for the holidays. Uh, eat a lot... I mean, you'll be listening to the show before then. I was going to say that your, your mission, should you choose to accept it, eat a lot of turkey, but equal parts stuffing, because stuffing is amazing. Shields high, Dr. Oh, I'm Rick. the cook. I'm the cook. There Absolutely. we go. That's what I would expect. Thank you for calling it. Thanks for calling in, Doc. Yeah, man. I'm I'm uh trying to think actually what I'll, I'll probably make some Brussels sprouts for my 
for my uh, Thanksgiving, my, my family feast for Thanksgiving. I like to do Brussels sprouts uh, charred with a little bit of pancetta. That's right. Get a little fancy. Rob in Boston on the iHeart app. Hey, Rob. Shields high, Aubrey. Shields high. Hey, what kind of uh, onion and tequila you got in the hut over there? Um, you, you know, I actually, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I've got a, a bunch of tequila that was sent by a listener to the podcast, which it was very nice. He sent like a whole crate of tequila, so I'm, I, I've got my work cut out for me for a while here. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, if if I'm at a bar though, I usually, I usually look and see if I can find. Um, I like Espalon, which is very good. Yeah. And which and not not very expensive by the way, and I'm also, right. I, I'm not gonna lie, I kind of like that. Uh, what's the George Clooney one again? I forget what it's called. It's pretty good though. Yeah, I have to try that. Though. I was gonna recommend this, but um, it's aged in bourbon barrels. Very nice. Yeah. Um, the uh, I enjoyed your uh, uh, little piece there on how Democrats have just suddenly determined that uh, sexual predators are a bad thing. Yeah, we know it's not because they like got religion or all of a sudden are moral people, right? It's yeah. this is this yeah, is a, there's a there's a, a pattern and there's a ploy that is that is coming up right now. It, it's this is something that you're going to see. They are and look, uh, you can already see the mechanisms in place. They're going to take somebody down, and they're going to try to ruin. And it's going to be somebody big. I don't know if it's media or politics, but they're going to take somebody down. And by the time we all actually have the ability to, to get to the bottom and the facts and the truth. Uh, it'll be too late, and and they'll they'll have set a new kind of a new standard for how they do business on the left. That's what's coming. I'm just I'm making a prediction here, but I feel very confident in it. They really are like the mob. I mean, once you used your usefulness up there, you're totally expendable. Yeah, well, I mean, come on, the the Clinton stuff. They they had. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And Rob, have a great weekend up in Boston, man. Shields high. Uh, they. You quote? Oh, you got a quote? Oh, sorry. Yeah, you can yeah. quote. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. How did that feel? Enjoy your day at the spa. Enjoy your day at the spa. Uh, I don't, what do I mean? Um, true lies? I don't. I don't know. What is it? But, uh, act of valor is when they had the hostage in the. Uh, uh, I will say I've never seen. I've never seen that. Is that a good movie? Is that? that- that is an awesome movie. The uh, the actors in it are all actual seals, and maybe not the best dramatic actors, but the, the action scenes are right out because they're, they're doing what they do. Yeah, well, at least I mean they definitely know how to carry the weapons and make these action sequences yeah. look real. Shields high, Rob. Have a great weekend. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, why don't we? Speaking about the way that. They're now talking about Clinton. There are still some Clinton defenders. There's still some. He, he, you've got you've got the Clinton dead enders out there. I mean, you got. I remember this guy. He, he he was supposed to be on a few segments with me to talk about Hillary's emails, and somehow when I was over at CNN, somehow he'd always disappear. They'd be like, "Oh no, he's not on that segment with you anymore." I'd say, "Really?" Because I think we should talk about this. I feel like we'd have a. I feel like we could have a robust debate over whether Hillary's emails were a violation of federal criminal law because, oh, I actually worked for the CIA and had a TS clearance. So uh, unlike some of these CNN talking heads, I have some idea what I'm talking about. And, and this, uh, there were a few, but Begala was one of the ones that they just, 
it would be, oh, you're going to be on with Paul Begala. And then I'd arrive in the green room and like, oh, no, he's not doing this segment. I'm like, oh, smart man, smart man. But he's still defending. He's out there still defending the Clintons. He didn't get away with anything. Okay? He was investigated. He, he was litigated. He was impeached. He had finally, after lying about the affair, admitted it, apologized multiple times in a very heartfelt way. They thought he was a good man who did a bad thing and should remain as our president because he was doing a great job. He left office after all of that, the most popular president in the history of polling. It's a sad thing to listen to a, a grown man with a, with a long career in political propaganda, but it's a sad thing to watch him uh, kind of like m- molt his dignity like a like a butterfly that's turning into a slug. I mean, it's it's a sad thing to just see that that debasement of oneself, you know? Yeah, Bill Clinton didn't get away with anything. Continued being president and then made about 100 mil when he finished up. Never spent a day in prison. Broke the law. Lied under oath. Never convicted of anything. Never charged of anything. But yeah, he didn't get, I mean, you know, this is just, it's, it's kind of sad. People become so conditioned to do whatever they can in order to support their their champion, so to speak. And I don't mean their champion in an ideological and a, and a, and a more respectful sense. I just mean that they're, you know, their bread and butter, whoever their gravy train is. They just, I'll never forget a very senior uh, producer at one of the big, at, at, non, at non-Fox, at a not-Fox network, a very senior producer, I was uh, sitting chatting with him and another ex- another executive of actually of another media company, and he said to me that uh, he said that that Diane Sawyer was the smartest hu- the the smartest human being the the like most extreme intellectual horsepower of any human being he'd ever met in his life, and I just remember being like, you know, man. I get it, right? Like you worked with her for a long time or something and you you want to believe that. But, you know, there there are people out there who are curing cancer, you know? I mean, there are people who are doing incredible stuff and they're not spending an hour and 15 minutes in the makeup chair every day beforehand as a primary a primary part of being a network CBS or whatever Sawyer was on uh, anchor, you know? Like let, let let's keep it real. I mean, it, but people want to believe they want to believe that. So that's what I mean about the Clintons. People want to believe that the Clintons are actually good for America because they've built whole careers around the Clintons. They've been just hanging on to Bill's coattails and Hillary's pantsuits. And, you know, Wah! that's what's been going on. So it was it's actually the Begala thing, although, I mean, he's just. He's up there with uh, I can't. What's her name? Um. There's another, there's a, oh, I can't remember the name now. It's all the same thing. It's all, you know, everything Hillary does is great. I love Hillary. Well, what about this? Oh, no, everything she does is amazing. People just want to make, they want to be connected to the, they want to be connected to the cool group, to the powerful group. They want to make as much money as they possibly can for as little work as they possibly can. And connections help a lot in that. That's what it's all about. Bottom line. So you get somebody like Paul Begala defending. Uh, Clinton. Oh wait, and that's not just that. Then you have MSNBC's Casey Hunt on on Franken. This is going to be interesting. Here we go. Here's what she had to say about Al Franken, who's got literally in a photo. And there's more people coming out saying that Franken's a terrible jerk, which I've known and have heard about for a long time. 
Uh, and by the way, just I, I like to put this out there. You know, not everybody. I don't hear everybody in the left is a jerk. You know, it's this is and I'm fair about that. Um, just one that comes to mind who has an impeccable. He has no idea who I am and I've never met him. But uh, Chris Hayes at MSNBC has an impeccable reputation among every. Yeah. Tyrone's looking at me nodding. Say, yeah. Impeccable reputation for just being a, a, a good guy, being a nice guy. So I'm sure if I ever did meet that guy, we get along great and I'd like him. You know, so Chris Hayes, really nice guy. Keith Olbermann, worst human being on the planet. You know, I, I'm not just throwing this out there based on their TV personas. I get to hear from people who work with them, know them well. And in some cases, I know these individuals myself. So. Anyway, uh, but over at MSNBC, you get Casey Hunt talking about Al Franken, and she's defending it. It's amazing. Here it is. He photo took a picture, uh, which his office now says was a joke, uh, that showed him uh, potentially not actually groping, but mock groping her uh, while she was asleep. Mock groping. I'm pretty sure when someone's asleep and you have your hands on their chest, I think that's grope groping. I don't think it's mock groping unless she's saying that there was some invisible barrier between the hands and the actual chest area. But I should know. Do you think that you'd be do you think it would be OK to split to split that uh, split that hair if you were a Republican? You know, if you if you were a conservative and you're talking about a woman being groped. Well, you know, I don't think so. Different different rules for us, though, as we know. Uh, I haven't gotten into how Vice, which is like hipster central, is apparently, has apparently a, an incredibly toxic culture of sexual harassment. Unsurprising, based on the individuals that I've met that were, that work at Vice, the uh, the smug and self righteousness of the hipsters is, and the entitlement of hipsters is incredible. But discussion maybe for another time. We will be back. We'll take your calls. Uh, we've got our friend uh, our friend Sean Parnell joining. Talk to us about the VA. And just got a lot more show. So hang in there. We're going to have some fun. Be right back. Put that gun down. Put that gun down. Now. Hands up. Over the head. Turn around. Richard, do you want to get shot? Tommy Lee Jones in the tunnel with... Harrison Ford in The Fugitive, my good sir. All right. Bam. It's all right. It's all right. Ty- Tyrone knows he's going to have to, like, next time around, people people at home are going to, they're going to think it's, they're going to think it's rigged if this, if this keeps up. But don't worry, they can call in and trip me up as they've already been doing here on the show. Phil in New Hampshire, what have you got for us, sir? Steve Buck, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Uh, good week for you on TV. Thank I, you. I wanted to... Oh, it was awesome. Really, really killer. Wanted to spit this one out. Um, and, and not to, you know, it's been a pretty lighthearted Friday, but uh, I, it just really rips me that when the, uh, when the Democrats start popping up and saying, hey, if, uh, if you guys go after the uh, Uranium One Clinton Foundation, uh, all the rest of that corruption, it, it's going to be civil war. You're going to rip the country apart. It's going to be devastating. And then even, you know, some conservative pundits and, uh, you know, folks I listen to a lot have been saying, yeah, that could be right. This could be, you know, the final straw bridge too far. This could just be too much. And it's like, son of a, seriously, when it's not a tit for tat thing, it's a justice thing. 
Well, hold on a second. Yeah, we actually have some sound to play for you on this, on the Uranium One Special Counsel possibility. Play clip six. Will you appoint a special counsel in that Uranium One case? Well, President Trump wanted a strong Department of Justice, and he wanted to restore the rule of law at the Department of Justice. And that means not confirming or denying investigations, and it means pursuing allegations without regard to political bias. We're bringing in uh, federal prosecutors to review all the investigations that we have going on, and that includes reviewing the decision of whether to have a special counsel or not. But I do think it's so important for your viewers to know that the Department of Justice conducts thousands upon thousands of investigations all the time and in the history of the Department of Justice we've only had two special mm -hmm. counsels so the department is incredibly able to conduct investigations without special counsels where there's not a conflict of interest and where there's not that factual basis where you need a special sure, counsel. So That's my uh, friend Sarah Flores actually who's the DOJ public affairs person uh, who was talking about that but th there you go Phil um, there you go. It seems to me that we just can't we can't stop doing battle with the party with no breaks because it, they've proven over this last couple of years especially they just don't know when to stop they can't stop all right man phil thank you uh, for calling in we're actually going to go into our uh, our next uh, segment here we'll take a few calls and we'll get our friend sean parnell and uh, that will be fun we'll have sean parnell in this is a hijack No, it's wrong? No, it's right. Of course. Delta Force. I know. I'm... Guys, I'm the action movie ninja. It is true. I I am like the samurai who trains the other samurai. This is just... I know, Tyrone is freaking out in there. I He doesn't... I want to tell you, man. I had two brothers and a dad who all loved action movies... And that's what we did. We just watched a lot of action movies growing up. I probably should have read. I probably should have started reading books younger. I got more into books as I got older. I was twelve. I was like, "More Terminator, more, more Total Recall." <laughs> that's all I cared about. Oh, there we go. Lori in New Jersey. Is this is this the Lori? The Lori it who's is. been listening to this radio show for five years, yeah. going back to when I had about five people listening. You are exactly right. Hey, Lori, how, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Good to hear from you. What's going on? So, uh, now this, this uh, I'm just calling in. I mean, we could talk all night, right? But this is just Action Movie Friday, and I got a quote. All right, let's hear now, it. But I will tell you that this quote has a certain amount of, uh, you know, relation to current events. Oh, okay. okay? So, but you're going to get it. I, I know you're going to get it because, y you know, you're like the snatch the pebble from my hand, right? Are you ready? I'm ready. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Usual suspects. And it does have a... Who said it? Uh, Kevin Spacey, of course. And Actually, Kaiser Sose said it, if we're really going to get into it. Okay. But, but oh, man, no, I just... Real spoiler. Man, no spoilers. Person. Sorry. Who cares? A real person. Kevin Spacey, and he's relevant today because yeah, I know he's the the the, the first of the uh, of the big Hollywood actors, but some directors and producers have have gotten 
jammed up in all this, but he's he's the first one to get. I think of the of the big actors. That's uh, that's got even him. the old Vic. You know his d- directorship of the old Vic. I mean, it just doesn't get any more despicable than that. Indeed, or maybe it Indeed. does. You know, maybe it does. <laughs> well, well, Laura, Laura, on a positive note, thank you for sticking with me in the Freedom Hut for all for all these years. I remember Laura was li- re- literally one of my earlier callers when I used to do a Saturday show. Shields high, Laura, big hug. Uh, Lori was one of my earlier listeners on Saturdays, and because it was digital radio, it was digital radio. I I, I could tell exactly how many people were listening, so it was pretty. <laughs> it was and start out, you know, it, it reminded me of of that thing with Alec Baldwin when he tried to do a radio show. He's like, "Are there any calls? Are there any calls? Are there any calls?" You've you've seen that, right? That clip. It's amazing that a guy who's so seasoned in media like Alec Baldwin, who actually. I know there's lots of stories about he's a big jerk and whatever else. I'm sure that's true. He is very talented, though. Very talented. Like, one of the funniest guys on SNL, actually, and is a really good actor, too. And as Jack Donaghy in the show 30 Rock, he makes that show. And without him, like, there's not really much of a show. So I give him I give credit where it's due. What? Okay. Um, oh, yeah. So we got James. James of Virginia. Action movie quote. James, what's going on? Oh, no, a whole lot. Um, I've been listening to you now for a couple months on uh, iHeartRadio. Every once in a while, I've caught you on uh, a local talk radio show and finally found you on iHeartRadio to be able to listen to you uh, uh, pretty regularly. Well, well, uh, welcome to the revolution, my friend. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Um, I got a movie quote for you. All right. All right. I'll even give you kind of a context on it. Guys being uh, interrogated. And uh, he's asked, what were you doing in that motel room? And he responds, "Uh, it was coupon night, and I was trampoline your wife. I have no idea what this is. A movie's called Lockout. I have never even heard of that. Who's the star of that? It's a Luc Besson movie. Oh, Luc Besson? The French guy? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I you're this is this is like I feel like this was at like the the uh, you know a, a few shelves down at the video rental store. <laughs> I don't think this one was like top top tier act. I don't think Schwarzenegger was reading for this part. But if it's Luke Besson, it's probably he's the guy from the Professional, right? So uh, it's probably it's, it's uh, an action movie. Two thousand twelve. Two thousand twelve. Oh, so it's recent. Yeah. Uh, I got nothing. I don't. I don't really read. I don't really uh, watch movies anymore. I read books. I've like switched. When I was younger, I watched movies and didn't read. Now all I do is read. Thanks for calling in, James Shields. Hi, great to have you on the show. Um, let's see, what we got here. Uh, John up in Alaska, K E N I. Hey, John. Hey, everybody's listening to you. After you, we started talking about Ted Stevens, the guy who won his uh, that Senate seat. Mark Beggage was all over on the radio trying to smooth over the thing. Wait, what happened? He, Mark Baggage, who won over Ted Stevens by a few hundred points when they pulled that shenanigan, yeah. trying to make him sound like he was a pervert or he was a crook or taking bribes, was all over. So, oh, it is, you know, it, it, it's just one of those things that happened. We, we didn't know he was innocent and, and was gone. So people are listening to your show, big people. 
he's going to be running for governor of Alaska. So, so wait, so you're telling me that because I've been bringing up the Ted Stevens thing and because we have a wonderful station affiliate up in Alaska, yep. that you think that Bagich is responding because I'm getting the word out about what happened to Ted Stevens. You got it. I, I will say this to everyone out there. If they do know Judge uh, Roy Moore, I can't find his phone number. I wanted to give him information. I was an elected official, school board, and they wanted the seat, and they were doing everything to get rid of it. We had a, a school board member who phoned in from the Marshall Islands, never went to the, any of the meetings, phoned in from the Marshall Islands, and yet they said if I wasn't there minute on time, they were going to, you know, that I was going to lose my position. Uh, well, I hear you, man. Look, John, thank you for telling me about baggage. I appreciate it. Stay warm up there in Alaska and Shields High. we got to get to uh, – our next segment, which is going to be our friend Sean Parnell here. Sean Parnell, the one and only. He's the greatest, by the way. Like uh, there, there are some people that it's just an uh, in, in honor uh, and and a lot of fun to get to get to know and get to work with in this business. And for me, uh, a bunch of them are former military guys that also do media. And uh, Sean Parnell is, is is high, high, high up on that list. He's he's just great, man. If you ever get the if you ever get the chance to meet Sean Parnell, I'm telling you, walk up to him, give him a big handshake or a hug even he's the nicest dude ever and he's also just a uh, just a kick butt warrior too so he's the he's the greatest he's going to join us in a few minutes talk about the va he had a meeting with the va secretary stay with me okay everybody it is uh action movie quote friday as i've been saying and we, we have a a real life action hero with us now sean parnell who is a former u.s army airborne ranger served 10th mountain division and also is the author of the phenomenal book outlaw platoon heroes renegades infidels and the brotherhood of war in afghanistan that book is available on amazon for all of you listening and i would recommend it highly to you sean had a meeting with the va uh secretary and he's going to talk to us about what's going on and all things veteran and just we're going to talk to sean parnell because we like him what's up sean Hey, what's happening, Buck? You do the, the best intros for me. I, I wish you could just travel around with me everywhere and just introduce me everywhere I go to all my family's friends, maybe even for Thanksgiving. I don't know. Uh, man, I, you, you, you let me know. The next time you do a big speaking gig, I'll, I'll warm up the crowd for you. But all right, so tell me, Sean, um, what, what was it like? You, you spoke the VA secretary. Uh, what were some of the issues you talked about? What do you think about the guy? Tell me what's going on here. Well, I love. I, I do really like Shulkin. I think he's a he's a really good dude. Uh, I think he really greatly cares about veterans. He, he understands. Uh, he truly understands the dire need for reformation at the VA, not just from a policy standpoint, uh, standpoint, but but from a cultural one as well. Um, and he's doing the best that he can uh, to to make the changes that 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 are needed. But I, I got to say that. Uh, we primarily talked about the choice component of VA reform, which is giving veterans access to choose wherever they want to to receive the health care that they need. And and I just feel like I left that meeting uh, uh, a little bit disappointed because there's really no serious proposal on the table uh, for for veterans' choice of, of health care, and and, it, and it's really bothersome. And, and the reason why I say that, Buck, is that right now, now, now on paper, you, if you read it, it, yes, of course, the choice component, given, giving veterans a, a choice of where they receive their health care is, is on paper VA policy, but it never fails, man. Everywhere I go, 
I talked to, and I mean talking 99% of veterans, hey, do you have your choice card? Yeah, I've got it right here. Have you actually been able to see a civilian provider of your choice? And the answer is universally no. And the reason for that is, is that as soon as they, as soon as they say, as soon as they pull that lever and say, yeah, I, I want to choose to go outside the VA network, the VA says, okay, well, we have to approve it. And then, it, and then that request, it's just shunted into the calcified bureaucracy of the VA and, and to speak in military parlance, it's just lost in the sauce forever. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of hurry up and wait. Um, I, yeah, I would, yes, yes. I would assume that there's a cost component to this, or rather a cost control component, Sean. Anytime that the government might have to shell out some more cash, things, things just tend to slow down. It's unacceptable, but that is my, that's my experience, at least in dealing with the federal government. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think if you're talking uh, from a strictly dollars and cents issue, is that it, 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 Secretary Shulkin talked about the challenges of implementing the Choice Program because uh, as the Choice Program takes full effect, you're actually having to pay for two healthcare programs: one for a fully funded single payer VA system, and the other for the Choice Program, which which as veterans continue to use it, becomes more and more expensive. In uh, in the VA, you know, Shulkin also talked about something that I think is important as well, and that is minimizing the footprint and the bureaucracy of the VA by closing facilities that aren't effective or aren't doing their job. Uh, and, and they have these minimum community-based standards that all VA hospitals in their locales have to meet. But again, when I asked the secretary this, he sort of dodged my question, like, who is the who who is monitoring that? Is there going to be oversight? Is there going to be a third-party watchdog group? that monitors whatever the community-based standards are and reports them accurately to the VA headquarters because institutionalized bureaucracies will always fight to preserve themselves, and, and in the case of the VA, oftentimes at the expense of veterans. So for, for my, my overall point to the VA secretary is that the VA is the approval authority for choice. That's not real choice. That's like saying you can buy any car you want, on this lot, except that it has to be that 1980s conversion van with mini blinds over there. You know, that's not real choice. And so if we're really talking about minimizing the VA footprint, you can't have the VA reporting on what hospitals are effective and what aren't. I mean, there's not a single VA hospital in this country that is going to that is going to report to hire and say, you know what, we're just not doing good enough, and we're just going to have to fire everybody at this hospital. I've had, I've had a lot of veterans, Sean, I've had a lot of veterans call in, in uh, on the show in the past, we've talked about it, especially when, you know, that, that scandal broke about the wait list and people that were dying waiting for care and uh, veterans that were dying waiting for care. Uh, but I've had them call in, and I, I will say that I hear I hear the horror stories for sure. I hear that you know the the VA. I waited for six months. I could, but I, but there are also people who say, you know what? I've actually gotten good care at the VA. I like it. Is it very much localized? Is it like you know? Is it like you're in a city? There are you know there are good neighborhoods. There are bad neighborhoods, right? So it's tough to say is the city a good city or a bad city. It depends. I mean, what's what's the reality? Or is the care kind no, of substandard right. across the board? No, no, you're right. It, it absolutely is, is decentralized. Some VA healthcare facilities are far better than others. And, and the problem is and the challenge is that when a VA facility is really, really good, they're also really, really busy, you know. Um, so and it also raises a, a, I think, a very important point that most veterans, like when I am seen by a doctor at the VA, I have a great experience. But, but the challenge is, is penetrating the calcified bureaucracy to get the treatment that you need. 
And, and what I always tell people, and this is just not a talking point, this is a fact, that the bureaucracy at the, at the VA is larger than the United States Marine Corps, and of course far less effective at doing their job. And, and Secretary Shulkin recognizes this. He spot checks VA facilities. He says he goes in and he talks to the people that are primarily in charge of receiving veterans, customer service type people that oftentimes don't even make eye contact with him when he is in a facility. So I just, it's it just, there are enormous cultural challenges uh, that exist at, at the VA. Uh, and I, I think, it, look, if it's me, if I'm advising him and he's doing 100% of the things that I say, you, you got to make every VA employee an at-will employee because there's really not going to be a path to true accountability at the VA, and you're not going to be able to change the culture of people at the VA unless everybody that works there, you know, is held accountable. You know, you are serving at the behest uh, of, of our country's veterans, and you're here voluntarily. And, and then secondly, you have to give veterans full choice. You just do. Um, Sean, uh, I, I want to, by the way, speaking of Sean Parnell, former uh, Army Ranger and author of Outlaw Platoon. Um, Sean, we're going to make a hard turn here because we have this very important stuff with veterans issues, but we're now going to go into a totally different zone for other segment. So everybody, you can kind of, you know, stretch for a second, stand up, uh, you know, let it let it all loose because we want to see how Sean does <laughs> for Military Quote Friday, which is a special thing we've put together for Sean Parnell. Let's give him the first one, Tyrone. Listen up! Captain, that's the torch this place. You hear that? Torch this place. Blow the weapons in place. Round up all suspected VC and shake it up. We ain't got much light left. What have you got, Sean? Is it Parnell? my turn? Is yeah, it my turn? Oh, that's that's on you, buddy. Is the clock platoon? is ticking. Is it platoon? It is. All right. He got that's a pretty tough one, too. You, you failed. You failed to tell your audience, Buck, that I am 100% thus far. I have not missed one yet. That, <laughs> I know. I'm getting a, little, getting a little worried here. There might be a new king in town. He's, he's pretty good. We got, all right, we got, we got one trying. more. Let's see, if Sean, let's see how Sean Parnell does. Army Ranger Sean Parnell here, everybody. Let's see what he's got. Teddy Williams knocks it out of the past. Fenway Pack on his feet for Teddy. Ball game. He went yacht on that one. Arthur lives down street. I'm not going to lie. I have no idea what that was. This I, is... I, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever, I mean, if I, I, I couldn't even tell you what generation movie. I mean, I would guess maybe. Tyrone right? throwing a curveball here. Hit the buzz. Mm-hmm. We got, see, we got to keep you humble, Mr. Mr. Parnell, although he's actually like one of the most humble guys I know. Uh, whoa, but whoa, wait, we, what was it? What was it? Inglorious Bastards. Oh, you, you, that is that is that. Are we, are we classifying Inglorious Bastards as a war film? Tyrone, he's calling it out here. He's saying it's a war film. I don't. Is that a war film? It's kind of a Tarantino movie. I don't know. It's like saying that. You know, it's like saying that uh, Kill Jack Bill is like a historical piece or something. Film. Yeah, right. I challenge the basic fundamental premise. Tyrone, of that you can jump in. You can defend your pick here. Is this? It's a take on war. WW two. It's a take on. I mean, I will say it's not a classic, so we're, 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 we veered a little off. It's a little more action movie, actually, and a little less, well, a little less military or, or war movie, I think. But in my defense, I actually thought he was going to get it just because it was actually a pretty popular movie. Uh-oh. I do like that movie. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, thank you, Tyrone. 
And uh, and Sean, look, you know, you, you Sean, you can't get them all, buddy. You know, up to this I point, know. you know, right right <laughs> course, now, you're getting like an A minus. You're ahead of the class. So, uh, so, so, look, so I had to say, I had to say, I got 100 percent right before I missed one. Right, I, I, I he, Hoover's comes before the fall, my friend. It's, it's also the lesson I tell everybody from Game of Thrones. The moment you think you're too cool in Game of Thrones and no one can touch you, that's when that's when the head gets lopped off. You know, so yeah, it's a lesson lesson for <laughs> no life doubt. too, uh, Sh- Sean. Outlaw Platoon available on Amazon. Folks can also get it in, in bookstores, I assume. Yeah, you can get it anywhere books are sold for sure. Fantastic, man, Sean Parnell. Thank you for uh, being a, a fantastic freedom spreader, and thank you on, on the real for a moment here. Thank you for doing everything you're doing for veterans. I know it means a lot to you. Anything we can do to help spread the word or help you get, uh, you know, get more attention for the cause, any organizations you want to bring to light, you know, you come you come here into the Freedom Hut, and we'll get it on air. Okay. All right, thanks a lot. All right, brother. Have a great weekend, and tell the missus I send my regards, and uh, we will go into a break now. We'll be right back. You know, ever since James uh, Damore wrote that manifesto at at Google, I've been wondering, and and I've been wondering if there will be some greater sense of of self awareness among the progressive left when it comes to some of these social justice warrior issues. You know, they'll kind of figure out that. Maybe they need to at least be consistent or ha- have some intellectual and ethical consistency in their positions and not fall into self-contradiction that they then try to extricate themselves from via histrionics, emotion, screaming, crying, yelling at the sky because Trump won and all that stuff. Maybe we would be at the beginning of a more reasonable approach a more reasonable uh, standard for the leftist social justice issues of the day i mean i know that's i'm as i'm saying it out loud i'm like come on buck you know that's not going to happen but you know i thought maybe because that you could write that you could have a trained social uh, uh social biologist with a phd write a a completely good faith uh, memo. I mean, people can call it a manifesto. But it's basically a memo about hiring and corporate practices at his company, and to be fired uh, fired for that and vilified. You'll remember this was from a few months ago. Is pretty astonishing, but it's actually also now commonplace, and it's a real commentary on what's going on in corporate culture and in America right now. And as I've said to you, I'm. I, You know, the the rules are changing such that if you want to work for any company, you're going to have to bend the knee on this stuff. If you, you know, and and the place where I see this running into real issues imminently is on the transgender rights component of this whole discussion. Because if if you go into your business and someone says that you have to call, uh, well, someone says that you have to call Bob, you know, Elizabeth. Okay, someone can change their name, as I've said to you. But if you have to refer to uh, to Bob, who is actually now Elizabeth, as she when Bob was male for the first thirty years of of his life, uh, that may cause a problem. Because now, what if you get fired? And they're trying to create a protected category around transgender transgenderism, uh, which is a psychological state. It is not actually a a biochemical reality. And people get mad at me sometimes, and I'll, I, I read the, the notes about, the, oh, you know, how could you? And what about people who are born with this? Well, if you want to make it about a biochemical reality, then it's something that is testable, that is provable, and that then 
becomes the standard, which would exclude a vast majority of transgender individuals. So you can't have it both ways. You can't tell me about the rare genetic anomaly where somebody has the sex organs of male and female and then say, see, that proves the point that there is transgenderism because that's not what most, if not all, of the transgenders that you will come across in your life are uh, are referring to or, or referencing as their the basis for their desire to be the other gender, to switch gender identity. It is not a physical trait issue. It is not uh, biology. It is psychology. So they, they can't have it both ways. It's a psychological state. We would have in law now a protected category, a protected category that is a psychological state. And I would then say to you, if you could have a psychological state as a protected category, you could also have uh, political persuasions. And, you know, you start to say, well, where does this stop and start? We have and, and people say, well, isn't religion a protected category? OK, I mean, this but we're expanding them now to a place where, you know, pretty soon you're going to have the equivalent of the uh, the church of the flying pastafarian saying that they want to hold services in your church and everything. And it, it gets out of hand. But anyway, back to the, uh, the the culture wars and where it all goes right now. And I have James uh, Daymore joining me, by the way, on my uh, Stansbury Investor Hour podcast next week. So you should definitely download that. Tune into it. Check it out. Um, I saw this piece on the New York Post about how Apple, Apple has a diversity chief who is an African-American female, and she's only been in the job for six months, and she is stepping down from this job. And you would say, okay, well, why? Oh, no, no. It's not because she's moving on to some other fantastic opportunity that she couldn't pass up. She is stepping down from this opportunity because she's being pushed out. Now, you may say to yourself, hold on a second. Very, very um, highly credible and credentialed African-American female in the role of Apple's diversity chief, you know, head, of, head of diversity at Apple. What could she have done that, you know, there, was there some impropriety? Was she engaged in embezzling funds or something? Oh, no, nothing like that. Nothing like that at all. She made the mistake of saying that diversity is, quote, the human experience. I get a little bit frustrated when diversity or the term diversity is tagged to the people of color or the women or the LGBT. She said there can be 12 white blue-eyed, blonde men in a room, and they're going to be diverse, too, because they're going to bring a different life experience and life perspective to the conversation. She's Apple's first diversity chief, also, I should note. So this is a new position. She is their first hire in it, and there was an outcry among Apple employees, and I, I have to keep stating this because I want you to remember it. The Silicon Valley... The, the Google and Facebook elites are every bit as leftist, probably more so than the mainstream media, because not only do they believe all this stuff, but they have a tremendous and growing platform with really very little competition for the propagation of their ideas and values. 
you know, uh, CBS and CNN. I mean, they got a ton of competitors. They're losing market share all the time. Facebook? Not really anybody is going to be knocking down Facebook's door anytime soon. And they are very, very left. They are rabidly left wing. Now, not everybody. I know there's Peter Thiel. There are some who are even conservative or libertarian. But, but overwhelmingly, it is the case that these Silicon Valley types, the people that are making the social media platforms, that are running the social media platforms that are, you are using day in and day out, uh, they are, in fact, leftists, committed leftists. But the mistake back to Apple here on this diversity chief who was fired, what she said caused an outrage. And isn't that interesting? Her opinion, which was, in a sense, diverse from the other opinions at Apple, clearly, and her background, which she herself would be considered diverse because she is African-American and a female, none of that was taken into account. Because she went after a point of progressive orthodoxy, and you are just flatly not allowed to do that. Not allowed. Not okay. They have to make an example of anybody who does that, because if people started to think for themselves and question the notion of diversity and really dig into it, it would begin to come apart at the seams. It would be self-contradictory. And it would not be so effective a tool of power, power in corporate America, power on college campuses, power in the media, and yes, in government. If diversity became the difference in in human experience and perspective and not the difference in really what are artificially created categories of people, uh, that there's really no clarity as to, in many cases, who belongs to what group and, you know, where the group stops and starts and If they allowed people to start to dig more into this, then it would lose its political potency. And that's really what this is about. This is about power. This is about people who believe in a narrative that both makes them feel good. Oh, I support diversity. And that by implementing and enforcing this ideological point of view, by enforcing it, they also acquire and can wield power. Social, political, economic. So don't ever let these issues get uh, extricated from each other. They are very much linked. And I just think it's fascinating. Apple, one of the most valuable companies in the world, hires an incredibly accomplished African-American female. She says, you know, diversity includes stuff that's not just gender, race, and sexual orientation. And they're like, you know what? You've got to go. No diversity of ideas here at Apple. Pretty scary when you think about it. All right, we'll be uh, back. We're going to talk about what what's brewing in the NFL, which is something of a of a, a civil war. They are saying among the owners, and it's crazy. We'll get into it. Stay with me. We're getting ready for the weekend, to be sure. A lot of you, I'm guessing, are going to be watching some football, and we have our expert sports analyst with us every day because he's a producer on the show, Tyrone. Uh, and he sent me this piece about how there is a civil a civil war brewing in the NFL right now. It, it is teetering on an unprecedented civil war. That's the headline. Tyrone's here to explain what is going on, Ty. Boy, oh boy. Um, to start with, it, it's because Jerry Jones has become very powerful, and now his player is the player that's suspended. 
But this starts actually goes all the way back. Wait, who, who got suspended? I'm not up on Ezekiel Elliott, the starting running back for the Cowboys. He had a great year last season and was actually leading the league in rushing this season before he had a six-game suspension for an alleged possible assault before he actually played it down in the NFL. And he got suspended for six games, and they've been fighting it for over a year. And finally, after exhausting all their court measures, that he is now suspended for six games, and Jerry Jones is livid, and he's mad at the commissioner. He's trying to get rid of him. He's trying to. He's literally cursing out and calling other owners the P-word. He's losing his mind, and now the other owners are turning on him, saying, you know what? We'll get rid of you before we get rid of this commissioner. It's bad. So it, it sounds almost like Jerry Jones thinks of himself as like the deputy commissioner of the NFL. I mean, he's the number two guy in terms of the power structure. He feels like he's the number one guy. Oh. But this actually goes back to 2011, the last collective bargain agreement, the thing that keeps coming up with the anthem, anthem protests and all these things. For some reason in 2011, to destroy, and people thought at the time, people kept calling it a strike. It was not a strike. It was a lockout. The players tried to show up for training camp, and the owners told them, don't show up. We're redoing the deal. We don't like the old deal. This is new now. So it was, just so people know, it was not a strike. The owners made that decision. For some reason in 2011, they put in a collective bargaining agreement that Roger Goodell was judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to any kind of discipline among players. Because a couple players got DUIs, and that was getting bad press. If only they had known what bad press was coming, they might not have thought that was the be-all, end-all. But two players got a DUI, high profile. They made him judge, jury, executioner, and that's where all this thing started because the Ray Rice situation happened shortly after that. The Ray Rice situation was, for people that don't remember, he literally knocked his fiance. I saw that video, on video. So on every, video. Yeah. Well, here's the worst. This is where the problem, this is where all these problems started. Ray Rice did a terrible thing, but Ray Rice was very honest. He sat down with the league, sat down with the commissioner, and because he knew it was a casino, he knew there had to be a tape, he literally said, my fiance and I got in a fight, I punched her and I knocked her unconscious. Roger Goodell got pressured by the owners and said a two-game suspension. Then the tape comes out, only two games. The tape comes out and he basically tries to ban him for life. Ray Rice goes to court, he wins because you can't, it's double jeopardy the way they set it up. So Roger Goodell said, you know what, from this moment on, I'm not allowing the owners to pressure me. I'm going to do the discipline for players. Now that he's actually doing it, certain owners don't like it, and now it's fractured the entire league. Wow. And you were telling me just earlier this week that other sports, other leagues, which I don't know which is your favorite after the NFL, but they're, which is, by the way, your favorite after the, the NBA. NBA. Uh, they're getting they're getting a piece of the NFL's lost action here. I mean, they're actually they, pick, picking up some viewers. The World Series picked up viewers. The NFL, the NBA decided to start early, mainly because um, pl- players. It, it's become such a championship or bust situation that coaches were sending players in the regular season, saving them for the playoffs. So they started the season earlier. Ratings are up eighteen percent in the NBA. They didn't do anything else. They didn't. They obviously didn't kneel, but that's because they have a good relationship with their players. And you set up where when you make one man in charge of everything, there was going to be repercussions that they didn't see coming. And now the anthem thing was a situation where they made this collective bargaining agreement where the only thing you could get in trouble for, the thing you have to do is follow this rule book. The anthem thing wasn't in the rule book and tied everybody's hands. Had they had some collaboration no player would have kneeled because you would have asked the players. The Players Association would have said, hey, this is bad for business, and all the players stand. 
All right, Tyra, now I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Who's going to win the Super Bowl this year? This is tough. Um, right now, I would have to say, it's, this is why you, it's Okay, tough. you can give me, give me three that could make it into, into the Super Bowl, and then you can tell me who you think will win. It's actually a criticism of the league in a way. The owners, because they want, they want to basically make socialism. They want Jacksonville to be the same as New York. They want Seattle and Dallas and everybody to be the same. And because of that, they set the league up to where they kind of want every team, you play 16 games, to be 8-8. Eight and eight. And they've done a lot of things to try to engineer that no team's great and no team's terrible. Oh, now, man, sports socialism. I'm not sure it's a great idea. It's a terrible idea. Now, incompetence will always reign, and there are certain teams that can't win. But there's a lot less teams that have the huge advantage that they had in previous years. That's why it's a tougher question. And this was another thing where these guys are saying, we're all going to be billionaires together. We're not going to compete. We're going to collude and be together. There's consequences when you do things. So to answer your question, the Eagles can. The Saints can. There's four teams that can. The Steelers can. And the Patriots. Those four teams. So two from each conference. Saints, Eagles, Steelers, or New England. And last one for you. Are you going to see the Justice League movie? I am going to see the Justice League movie. (laughs) Really? I'm just guessing here. Look at this. And the reason I'm going to go see it is I actually think that there's some good stories to be told. The problem is Marvel on that side did a really good job with the villains. The DC side, which is Justice League, did a really good job with the heroes. Not as good with the villains, but I'm still going to see it. All right, because it's been getting, I'm sure it's been getting annihilated by liberal and conservative Twitter, yes. which I don't know what that means other than there's some people who are very unhappy with it. But Black Twitter as well. Oh, oh okay. Yes. Well, so it, it's getting it's getting hits from all over the place. But Tyrone, thank you so much for joining me. Great to have you as always. Thank you. We are going to roll into a break here. When we come back, I, I there is a, a quasi-coup, as I'm calling it, underway. It, it's not clear what exactly is going to happen. Mugabe, who is one of the most evil, corrupt tyrants in the world. I mean, he's definitely in that in the top 10. Maybe you could even argue top top five. Uh, but he, he's one of the worst and probably the worst leader on the whole. I think you said the worst leader on the whole African continent right now. Uh, and he is 93 years old. He's he has uh, presided over decades of economic collapse political repression, brutality, and just incredible ineptitude. He may be gone. And I just want to tell you a bit about this story because it is it is a, an important lesson for the whole world, what happened in Zimbabwe. There's a coup underway. We'll talk about it. Stay with me. Today, United States President, Mr. Trump, please blow your trumpet. Blow your trumpet in a musical way towards the values of unity, peace, cooperation, togetherness, dialogue, which we have always stood for. Is it the end of a tyranny? That was just a couple of months ago at the United Nations. It was the president of Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe. He is 93 years old. He has been the uh, despot in charge of Zimbabwe for 37 years. And right now, there's something of a quasi-coup in effect. 
that might that might remove Mugabe from power. I wrote about this on thehill.com today. If you want to see it, it's it's up there. We've also posted it on Facebook. The piece is uh, the end can't come soon enough for Robert Mugabe, Zimbabwe's tyrant. Now, let's just start with this. I know that the problems of some third world countries that are internal to those countries generally don't get much attention in our news cycle. Unless a country has oil or is harboring international terrorist groups, usually jihadists, uh, we tend not to care all that much about what's going on over there. Uh, It's just this is just a fact. It's just reality. But in this case, the story of Zimbabwe is so fascinating and is such a cautionary tale for what corruption, corruption at the hands of a leader who started out with supposedly the best of intentions, started out with a tremendous amount of support from the people with all the right background and revolutionary pedigree and everything else. But it's a cautionary tale of how that can all be turned not just into a corrupt kleptocracy, a state of stealing, a government of stealing, but also a despotism where there's vicious, vicious brutality against the people who would speak out when it comes to the government's just incredible ineptitude. Mugabe is a case of an absolutism where even the the order that you might expect in a dictatorship is undermined by the sheer incompetence of the bureaucracy and the administrators that are supposed to engage in it. So, you know, unlike, for example, Mussolini's fascism, the trains in Zimbabwe do not run on time, quite the opposite. So it's, a, it's an interesting story. And I just wanted to tell you that we should look back on what has happened in this country right now. And I know it's look, it's far away. Zimbabwe is as some quick background here. Uh, Zimbabwe is the former southern Rhodesia and uh, the other uh, northern Rhodesia became Zambia. uh, But it was a a colony, a, a British colony. And then there was a period of independence from the British in the 19th century that was followed with a white minority rule. And then there was a civil war within what was then southern Rhodesia, and it became Zimbabwe. And that is basically taking us to 1980. And then the 37 years of Mugabe's rule. I mean, there have been elections, but they're a joke. I mean, there are elections where there are goon squads and and uh, armies of thugs that go around and find anybody who is supporting any other candidate and beat them horribly. And this has all been very well documented. I mean, the, the part of Zimbabwe, though, that is most famous on, on an international level, the part that is best known uh, is the hyperinflation. I mean, he has not so much, Mugabe has not so much damaged the economy. He has erased it. There is effectively very little, if any, economy or economic activity going on. I mean, it barely registers on a, on a, global, on a global scale. Uh, Mugabe and his army of cronies are, when it comes to this issue of 
economic mismanagement. They're the world champs. I mean, they're even worse in a way than Venezuela because Venice, because Zimbabwe has the distinction of having the highest inflation rate in history, 500 billion percent in 2008. At one point, they had a $100 trillion Zimbabwe dollar note. And by the way, that was worth 40 cents back in 2009. Then they abandoned it. Now they just use other countries' currencies because their country was literally hyperinflated into nothingness. It became worth nothing. Zimbabwe also has an HIV rate of somewhere in the 15 to 20% range. And life expectancy by some metrics in the early 2000s was dropping into the high 30s. In fact, I read a piece that said that it was the had the lowest around 2006 and probably had the lowest life expectancy in the world. Now, it's gotten a little bit better than that, but it is still a country that is in a dire situation. And it is because of the way the country is run. Zimbabwe is actually on incredibly fertile soil. It is a country that used to be the breadbasket for the region. It is high enough that malaria is not much of an issue. I mean, the altitude prevents malaria, which other parts of Africa, parts of Africa that I've been to, it just is, is a constant threat and a, a real um, uh, uh, just a, a horrible plague that continues on. Uh, malaria is not really much of an issue in Zimbabwe. Uh, it has tremendous natural resources. It has all the, the, the gold and gemstones, the things that uh, you would like to have for mining purposes in a country. And yet it is desperately poor. Although not everybody in Zimbabwe is desperately poor. As we often see with autocrats, uh, he has Mugabe, Robert Mugabe, has a uh, a lady, the first lady, who is known as the shopper-in-chief, also known as Gucci Grace. Her name is Grace Marufu, now Mugabe, and she is 40 years younger than Mugabe. And she was proposed to, while he, uh, while he was, well, should have been tending to his cancer-stricken wife. His wife was dying of cancer, uh, Mugabe's first wife, and he proposed to his second didn't wait for her to, uh, didn't wait for her to pass. Uh, so she also has a has a habit of attacking. Meaning the current wife, Gucci Grace, she has a habit of attacking anyone who tries to take photos of her while she's abroad, uh, and also assaulted a model in South Africa. And it was only because of her diplomatic immunity that the first lady of Zimbabwe escaped uh, serious assault charges and was able to get out of the country. So th this is a place that to say it's been economically mismanaged is an understatement. And, and then you have the which is um, the, the two things that are best known are the uh, land seizure campaign that's been going on and the hyperinflation. I just told you about hyperinflation, 500 billion percent, everybody in 2008, just completely insane. Right. I mean, how is that even possible? But the land seizure is. And remember, this happens in other, this has happened in a lot of Bolivarian revolutions where there'll be a redistribution of land. It's really a socialist concept. It happened in the Soviet Union. They wanted to do dekulakization. The kulaks were a class of independent farmers in the Soviet Union. And the Kremlin and its commissars decided, well, Stalin decided 
to dispossess them of their farms, put them on collective farms and seize all their productive assets. And this led to starvation and famine. Well, unsurprisingly, when Mugabe gave away the farms that belonged to the white, the remaining uh, white inhabitants of Zimbabwe, remember there was a white minority rule period and then there was a civil war and then Mugabe rose to power through an election, but there were still white farmers, white landowners, and they were just across the board dispossessed of their property and their land. Many of them were killed. They were brutalized, murdered, uh, murdered in front of their families, whole families killed as well. And if you have not seen it, I would recommend a documentary to you that I watched that is haunting, uh, that is called Mugabe and the White African. It's just a documentary where someone li- someone actually shows you video uh, over the course of a year of a farm. And remember, it's a white family, but there are uh, there are black Zimbabweans working on the farm who are very close to this family and rely on this family for their livelihood and actually are willing to defend the family. But these party officials uh, come along and just pillage and threaten and seize and take. And this happened on uh, on many of these farms and they no longer were productive assets because, you know, a farm has to have somebody running it. There has to be many of you listening. I know our farmers or have worked on farms. There has to be somebody actually making sure that the crops get planted, that the animals are tended to, that there are, there are productive activities going on. Otherwise, it's just land. And what happened was that these farms were given away. People took all the machinery, took all the equipment, seized all the crops, seized all the assets, redistributed them among themselves. Remember, this is not to the people, really. It's to connected party officials for what is known as the ZANU-PF party. But then all of a sudden, Zimbabwe was running out of food. Couldn't feed itself anymore. This is a familiar theme. This has happened time and again in history. So Zimbabwe is a lesson. It is a case study in corruption, a case study in the redistribution to the people, the seizure of wealth and assets And keep in mind that social justice was a major theme for Mugabe from the very beginning, righting the wrongs of the uh, racist, white-dominated past. He used that as a shield against international criticism for decades. Mugabe, whenever the international community in the early days, and they were all rooting for him, keep in mind, whenever whenever he would get criticism, he would say that the people criticizing him were pro-apartheid. Well, that was just the Southern Africa version of saying that somebody was a racist, that any criticism of Mugabe was rooted not in his completely uh, grotesquely corrupt and vicious, by the way, a tremendous amount of political violence. He allowed North Koreans to come in. He invited North Koreans in in the 1980s to train a military unit to go exterminate tens of thousands of his tribal enemies. So Mugabe has a lot of blood on his hands, too. It's not just economic corruption and mismanagement. He's a real uh, bloodthirsty tyrant on top of all of this. Uh, But whenever he would be criticized, it was always, oh, well, you know, he was the revolutionary leader and the rest of the world doing the bidding of the white Europeans, the white Americans. uh, They were criticizing him out of racism. They didn't want to see a uh, an indigenous African leader 
like Mugabe succeed. And that was a very effective narrative for a long time. That kept the criticism at bay and it allowed him to oppress Zimbabweans at will for a long time and get away with terrible behavior um, that might have received a lot more condemnation from the UN. I don't know how much that would have done, but but he knew the game he was playing early on. And it wasn't until the country couldn't feed itself anymore, its currency collapsed, it had no economy, and it was all just based on sham elections and and no freedom of the press, banning journalists, and the widespread brutality of his thugs and the seizure of property based upon the skin of those who were having the property seized, right? If you were white, your property could be seized with impunity. Uh, this is what has gone on in this country. And it, it is a story that people should know. It is a cautionary tale. And it may be at an end right now. Doesn't mean Zimbabwe is going to be great. Doesn't mean things will be fine. In fact, they could be replacing one tyrant with another. But 37 years. I think the oldest head of state in the world right now at 93. 37 years Zimbabwe's been ruling with an iron fist. Uh, uh, Mugabe's been ruling Zimbabwe with an iron fist. So that is the circumstance. And if you want to read more of my piece, go to thehill.com. The end can't come soon enough for Robert Mugabe, Zimbabwe's tyrant. It is certainly true. All right, team, we'll be right back. Marty! You've got to come back with me! Where? Back to the future! Back to the future. I don't know if that qualifies as an action movie, and I know we're doing action action movie Quote Friday here, but it's certainly a great movie. It really is. It's one of those movies that is just timeless. It is a it is a classic for the whole family. Kind of like E.T. or Jaws, if you're a little more into the thriller stuff. Um, but time travel is an interesting concept. It's in a lot of movies, including Van Damme's Time Cop, which I cannot recommend. I no thumbs down, thumbs down. But is it possible that that in fact uh, we would be able to travel through time? We have somebody. Who can help us answer that question for reals, everybody? Ethan Siegel is with us. He's an astrophysicist and author of the new book, Treknology, the Science of Star Trek, from Tricorders to Warp Drive. He also has a blog on Forbes, Starts with a Bang. Ethan, good to have you, sir. Thank you, Buck. It's my pleasure to be here. All right, so you wrote a piece on Forbes, how traveling back in time could really physically be possible. Do tell, sir. All right, so when you're traveling through time like normal, it's pretty boring. You're traveling through time at this rate of one second per second. That's how you head into the future. So if you want to go to the past, you have to recognize that every single instant that you're alive, every single instant that you don't travel into the past or take steps to do so, you're actually making it harder and harder. But space as you move through it, is related to time, which you also move through. One of the crazy things Einstein taught us is that the faster you move through space, the slower you move through time. So if I went into a spaceship and I ran away at the speed of light for 10 years or very close to it and then came back for another 10 years, you back here would have aged 20 years, but I might only have aged days depending on how fast I was moving. So we've learned that you can slow down your motion through time. Ethan, you've just taken a photon laser to my brain, my friend. I have no idea what's going on here, but it sounds very interesting. So you're telling me, as an astrophysicist, that it is theoretically possible, although probably not 
in a DeLorean going 88 miles an hour, uh, but it is theoretically possible to time travel. It is possible to time travel, and not only to travel through time, but to control how you travel through time. So we can control our motion through space and through time by controlling how fast we move through space. But that's only for going forward. If you want to go backwards, you'll have to set something up that's really special. And this was something that we didn't think would be physically possible until the 1980s, where physicists like John Wheeler and Kip Thorne and some of their other collaborators figured out there's a special way to make this happen. You might have heard of this concept of a wormhole before, where you can enter one mouth at some point in the universe and come out a different mouth completely disconnected from this. It turns out we have mass, we have matter in the universe that you can make like a black hole out of. Well, if you were able to construct something with negative mass or negative energy and construct another mouth or counterpart to a black hole made out of that, you could actually connect these two ends and have a wormhole where you can go in one end, come out the other end, and successfully transport a human being. That's now, crazy stuff. Wait, now, Ethan, let me just ask you, be, be, for, uh, we're speaking to Ethan Siegel, by the way. You can go check out his blog at Forbes called Starts With a Bang. He's an author of a book, Treknology, the Science of Star Trek. Ethan, just one last one for you before we, uh, we got to get out of here, and, and that is Star Trek versus Star Wars. In your, in your professional astrophysicist scientific opinion, which is better? Oh, one's good for one, one's good for the other. Oh, <laughs> look, he's not just an astrophysicist, he's a politician, everybody. I like it. All right. Good, all of the above. So people can go check out your blog at Forbes and your book, Treknology, on Amazon. It is on Amazon. Uh, buy it today and, uh, you know, makes a great gift for the holidays for a Star Trek fan, not for a Star Wars fan. All right. Well, maybe maybe I'll, maybe one day we figure out how to actually create a device to take us back in time. You can help us explain how that whole thing works. Ethan Siegel, everybody. Ethan, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, team. So uh, we are going to roll into a quick break here. Um, if you want to give me a ring, 844-900-2825-844-900. Buck, we've got Team Buck Speaks coming up, of course. And we uh, also have a, a whole bunch of, of other interesting stuff planned for this hour. I can tell you what it is, but, monsieur, I want it to be a surprise, No. Uh, I didn't even go all in on the French accent there. I'm getting a little wimpy in the third hour of the show. We'll be right back. All right, team, before we head out for our respective weekends, I wanted to get into my favorite part of the third hour, which is Team Buck Speaks. Uh, we are also now adding in emails. So those of you who want to write in, officialteambuck at gmail.com. That's official teambuck at gmail.com and since emails are our first time today let's get into some of those all right uh richard writes in with the following buck been listening to your show on kprl a new affiliate in paso robles california roosters firearms in nearby templeton carries black rifle coffee great people your breath of fresh air intelligence wit history and insight keep up the good work Sincerely, Dick. All right, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And uh, I'm glad that you enjoy the various facets of this show. So uh, we will definitely be doing more of the things that you seem to enjoy. And I appreciate your kind words. 
Noel writes in, hey, Buck, Amy, and Tyrone. They appreciate being included as well. Uh, Love the show. Listen every day. One of the original Saturday crew here. Usually we say original Saturday squad, as you know, but I'll take crew. Uh, Love the format of the show. Really love the history. Looking forward to the triumphant return of Kami Bear. Keep up the good work. I wonder if at this point folks will even know who Kami Bear is. I know that's on me because I've been keeping I've been keeping the uh, Marxist mammal under wraps, but we'll, he'll he'll make a return to the show. It, it it will happen. I know. I've been promising it forever, but we've got some things in motion, my friends. All right, now on to the Facebook side of the equation. Tons of messages coming in on Facebook, which I appreciate. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton for those of you who want to share your thoughts on the show. All right, we have Bo writing in Laugh out loud. The squirrel story was entertaining. My sister had a pet squirrel once. She used to spank the pet squirrel with. (laughs) She used to spank the squirrel. (laughs) Okay. So she used to. Excuse me. She she used to spank the squirrel with a with a rolled up newspaper when it would (laughs) when it would climb the curtains. Uh, which is nothing compared to her husband's exotic pet choice. He had a mountain lion, fully grown, and it had its own couch in his house. Well, Bo, thank you for uh, your exotic pet squirrel uh, pet stories, and good to know that if the uh, squirrel gets out of line, you can spank it with a rolled-up newspaper. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. Yes, the squirrel and the mountain lion. Let's move on. Um, uh, Joshua writes in. Joshua writes in. Listening to last night's podcast, I require more tie and less gateway pundit. Keep it real, Sexton. All right, Joshua. Well, glad you enjoyed Ty's commentary on the show. He is a critical part of the team here, so you will certainly be hearing more from him. Adam writes in. You said on Tuesday that you haven't been out of the city at all. I propose that you take a week. Uh, of the broadcast to my hometown of Ogallala, Nebraska. The radio station is KOGA, and they'll be likely to accommodate you and your retinue. They have uh, internet for your show. I bet you could rent a 10-acre ranch uh, for your stay for the monthly price of your Starbucks bill. Small town America could grow on you and get you in touch with all the folks listening, just a thought. Well, Adam, I, I like where your head's at on this one. Certainly the idea of a 10-acre ranch for my Starbucks bill sounds like fun. Uh, I'll give it some thought. We are going to be making a road trip. It'll, it, To be honest with you, that's probably a, tw- a f- maybe fall of 2018, but we're going to be making stops. Uh, the team here, we're going to be getting on the bus and heading out to folks across the country. That will be happening. Just a question of when, but that is already in process in terms of the discussions. Dave writes in, hey, Buck, your caller Mark just made one of the most amazing calls I've ever heard. His Baptist father was married seven times. Wow. Somehow he struck the land or stuck the landing and kind of made sense. That was crazy. Uh, I have to say we got a caller. Mark got a lot of responses on Facebook. Uh, We really let him we let him uh, spread his wings and fly here on air. And uh, a lot of you really enjoyed it. Uh, David writes in with the following. I listen to your radio session on iHeart every night. 
without, uh, I'm sorry, with everything going on in the world these days and in America, my question is, are we completely doomed? Is there any good left in this world? Seems like every news station I turn on the TV, all they show is the evil on this earth. Where are the positive news stories? David, the good news is that actually our world is getting better every day, not worse. Uh, Objectively, there is uh, more reason for optimism today, especially if you're an American. There is more reason for optimism than there has ever been in the past. You will live longer in greater comfort and uh, and most likely be happier than the generations that came before you, certainly than generations some centuries ago. Uh, We have expanded so much of the opportunity that we have in life day to day and and the way that we can uh, extend our lives with medicine and uh, the miracles of of science that are all around us. It's pretty incredible. So but the reason you don't hear that stuff, David, is because stories require conflict. Stories need drama to be interesting. You have to have good and bad. You have to have an action and action that is only good tends not to get the same degree of attention. So in a media marketplace, you need to be telling stories about good guys and bad guys, not necessarily people, but uh, uh, there has to be a narrative of good and evil, right? Whether it's the need for limited government, whether it's the need for better health care, you know, good and bad, not necessarily good and evil, but good and bad and a struggle. That's the basis of of story and storytelling. And it's one of the reasons why you have these phrases that you'll hear in media like if it bleeds, it leads because violence inherently is uh, attention grabbing and violence. It comes from conflict and conflict is the essence of story. So this is why the news cycle is what it is. It's why a terrorist attack that uh, kills uh, five people on the other side of the globe will get a lot more attention, for example, than a story about somebody who in some other country, uh, you know, saves saves a couple of lives by running into a burning building. So that's think of it that way. And I think it, it all will make sense. Philip writes, I got so much, uh, so many comments on the dachshund, the carpet shark, which I love that phrase. One of you wrote into me. I should probably actually play the Jaws theme instead of like making it up as I, I'm on radio. It's a little embarrassing now that I think about it. Anyway, um, Philip, a lot of you wrote in about dachshunds. Philip is one of them. All dogs love party food. Were you not eating anything at the cocktail baby shower party in New Jersey and therefore unable to bribe the dog's favor when it cornered you? Well, I will, I will have you know, Philip, that no, I did not because I can't eat gluten because uh, I have celiac disease, it, which is on my Wikipedia page, which I found out recently, which is pretty random. Anyway, uh, because I can't eat gluten, I tend not to be able to eat cocktail party food. Now, could I have gotten some? Sure. But by the time I was cornered by the carpet shark, a.k.a. the ancient dachshund, it was too late. I could not get any cocktail party uh, cocktail party wieners to get him to get the wiener dog to leave me alone. Um, And I did not have I did not have a newspaper with which to spank the squirrel. So so that's um, also not that was not something that I could do or or to spank the dachshund, as it were. 
Uh, Jimmy writes in, our president apologized for things he said before he became president and we moved on. Now we have the same situation with Al Franken. Um, he did something before he was in office and apologized. Shouldn't we do the same? You know, Jimmy, I applaud that you're trying to be fair-minded and, and not just partisan about this. Here's my thing about Franken is that he's been very vocal about criticizing others for sexual harassment and, and he's been very unforgiving of others in public life or any misdeeds or any, uh, any mistakes of, the, of this kind. So now that the shoe is on the other foot, I think there's a lot of, look, there's a lot of anti-Franken schadenfreude right now. People are enjoying his discomfort because he's a mean guy. He's not a good, uh, good guy. So that's a part of this as well. Uh, Patrick writes in, the Gordon Chang interview was very good and very entertaining. Well, thank you, Patrick. Gordon's a fantastic analyst, uh, really devoted to what he does. And I will just note that as you heard last night on the show, He's not just, oh, everything Trump does is great. I get a little frustrated with some of the national security analysts I know who just go, you know, full on. I mean, Trump could show up in a foreign capital and hand over to the premier a finger painting and then say, you know, Trump's amazing. He's done the best job on the global stage. Yeah, Trump is doing some really powerful, powerful things. And I, I appreciate his approach, but not everything he does is going to be smart or perfect or good. I mean, he's going to make mistakes in this game of national security and diplomacy and everything else. And we should just be honest about each step as we see it. And Gordon is certainly that way. So I'm glad you liked that interview. Uh, Justin writes in, Buck, I've been listening to you regularly for about a month now through podcasts. Love your insights. I think that the Pence rule is a great thing as it would have easily prevented all the sexual harassment and assault cases in the news. Keep up the good work. Shields high. Well, thank you very much, Justin. I appreciate that. And uh, we'll get in one more here. Uh, hello, my name is Ronald. So this is obviously from Ronald. I must say that I did not know much about you before your interview on the Drinking Bros podcast, but you have inspired me. I live in Arkansas and I'm a conservative libertarian. I'm 22 years old and I'm currently in my second year of college with an aspiration of being a lawyer. But my dream would be to write or speak in the political sphere of media. My professors all say that I have a voice that needs to be heard in my generation, and they enjoy my passion for politics and the law. I'm not trying to brag, only to inform. I want to break into the news and political media market, but I have no prior experience other than the essays I've, wrote, I've written for school. Is there any advice you could give me or a jump-off point you could lead me toward to enter this market? I believe in freedom and want to fight the good fight and go against the grain of my generation's millennial ignorance. Well, Ronald, first of all, thank you for your thoughtful note. Here's what I'd say on this. Uh, there is no one way to get into political commentary. And if you have a family and a mortgage that you got to pay, I would not recommend it. It's a nasty, awful business and it's unfair and it's very unforgiving. And it's, uh, it's, it's a rough, rough way to go. You're a young guy though. So if you wanted to make this leap, I would encourage you, if you really believe that this is something you should do, I would encourage you to just do it. And the and that I know that's also the Nike slogan, but it's, it's real advice here, meaning find somebody who will publish your writing. Start, it's never been easier to get going with this. Start a social media account. Begin testing out what your brand would be, what your voice is. Create a Twitter account. Start communicating in a, on a professional Facebook page. Uh, there are lots of ways to get in the game. And the most important thing is if you want to do this and you really feel inspired, Ronald, get in the game. Get in there. Take action, as I say. 
That should be your mantra. Just take action. You'll figure out more as you go along. All right, with that, my friends, I'm going to uh, close up shop here. Big thanks to Amy and Tyrone for making sure that the show goes smoothly as always. Uh, Please do download the podcast. It is Buck Sexton with America Now on iTunes. And you can also download the Stansberry Investor Hour. I'm going to be interviewing James Damore next week. So that'll be cool. Go to InvestorHour.com for that and BuckSexton.com for my T-shirts. So, my friends, this is where I get to tell you my favorite thing, which is no matter what comes your way, no matter what trials and tribulations are strewn in your path, no matter what disappointments you face or problems mount, you have your orders. Have a great weekend and shields high.